Welcome to Ask a Wayfinder, an advice and mindfulness podcast for all those who are seeking, those who are stuck, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Dana Wheelis. I'm a meditation teacher and life coach in Central Virginia, and this project is my way to share the work I love with a larger audience, and, I hope, to bring some relief and clarity to some anxious souls out there. Before I dive into the episode today, I have some great news. The meditations offered at the end of each Ask a Wayfinder episode will now be shared on the free meditation app, Insight Timer. If you set up Insight Timer on a device of your choice, you'll be able to follow me and get access to the meditation portion of selected episodes, as well as other favorite exercises from my classes and workshops. Just search for Dana Wheelis, that's W-H-E-E-L-E-S, and click follow. As of today's taping, there are two meditations already posted, and there are more to come as they are approved. For this month's episode, we are continuing with the theme we began last time, the art of saying no. Now that we've explored some of the ways in which our ability to say no was either encouraged or discouraged within our families of origin, it's time to look at another potential obstacle to setting boundaries and saying no, double binds. This is a topic I have worked with extensively, not just with my clients, but as an integral part of my own healing process. If you're not familiar with the term just yet, don't worry. Our letters today are excellent case studies for exploring the concept. All you need to know for now is that a double bind is a kind of no-win situation where you've been set up to fail either way you go. But unlike a plain old-fashioned dilemma, there's a uniquely crazy-making aspect to double binds. They can keep us stuck for a very long time. Let's turn to our first letter. Dear Ask Away Finder, How do you believe in yourself and your right to say no when people in power, especially medical professionals or therapists, insist you shouldn't? Here's the backstory. I'd been frustrated by my interactions with my therapist for months. I felt I was getting re-traumatized by her approach, and despite my concerns, she wasn't adjusting anything to meet me halfway. I'd tried talking about it with her in the hopes that we could fix it, but her responses seemed more defensive than constructive. Over time, it became clear that this relationship wasn't salvageable, because from her point of view, there was only one way for me to heal, and it was to agree with her on everything. She created an atmosphere where it didn't seem like I had the right to have needs, set boundaries, or say no, which was probably why I was being re-traumatized. After lots of tears and discussions with friends who agreed with me that the therapist was solidly in red flag territory, I finally worked up the nerve to email her to end it. I thanked her for the help and advice thus far and explained that because we'd been talking at cross-purposes, I was going to look for a new therapist with a different approach. Unsurprisingly, she immediately became defensive. She insisted that any issues we had were part of the work I needed to do and that I was being inflexible and selfish, although that was more implied than stated, and she tried to convince me to return to working with her. I didn't go back, but the whole nightmare raised a larger question that I've been wrestling with in some form or other for most of my life. How do you believe in your right to advocate for yourself and your needs when experts, whether doctors, therapists, or professors, don't listen to you or believe you about what's actually happening in your body and mind and think that their theoretical knowledge trumps your lived experience? 
Essentially, how do you believe in your right to say no when experts don't believe you have one or see it as denial, insubordination, or evidence of mental illness? Thanks, Anxious Advocate. Dear Anxious Advocate, I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And I'm sorry to say there are perhaps more people than you realize who have experienced something very similar to your situation. Just because people spend a lot of time and money to get a degree to practice as a therapist doesn't mean that they're a good fit for you. Other health professionals aren't immune to unhealthy power dynamics and general incompetence, but things get magnified when the human mind is at stake. If you go to see a cardiologist and you get a bad feeling about her, you can always seek a second opinion, putting aside, of course, for the moment of questions of privilege and resources available for health care. I mean to say there's no judgment on seeking a second opinion. But when it comes to the mind and the human emotional system, we're coming to these people because we believe that there's something flawed or something that needs healing about our approach to the world. And we're putting a lot of trust in these people to tell us where we're going wrong and how we can get back on track. If you're in a situation with someone who's not really seeing you, or who tries to use the same approach with every person, regardless of their needs, it can lead to a situation where you feel even more crazy. This is where the double bind comes in. You've come to this person as an authority figure to help you sort out how to better deal with your own unhealthy patterns. But their feedback and approach might be completely at odds with a healthy outcome for you. You're told that it's important to set boundaries and advocate for yourself, but not with them? Meanwhile, your body and your whole system is screaming, this is not working. But they tell you it is, and that it's for your own good. If you leave the therapist, it feels like you're walking away from your own health and healing. But if you stay with the therapist, you feel like you're abandoning yourself, and you feel even worse. Who is to be trusted here? This is such a tricky situation, and I'm so glad you got out of it. Obviously, there are millions of wonderful therapists who help people every day. But all it takes is an experience with someone who isn't a good fit with you and who doesn't see that they aren't a good fit for you to make you really question what's right. How can you heal? Double binds usually come from a situation where there is an authority figure who is sending conflicting messages about what's right. You're going to fail them either way you choose. At least it feels that way. And so you feel frozen. And any of us who have a history of developmental trauma or dysfunctional families of origin, this may be a very familiar territory for us. We perhaps had parents who put us in double binds frequently. Maybe not without meaning to, but gave us messages about what it meant to be a good kid but then expected something completely different from us in different situations. Finding your way out of a double bind is a tricky, tricky thing. As you found, Anxious Advocate, finding your way out of a double bind usually requires getting outside feedback. It requires broadening your perspective on the world to get out of your head and out of this crazy-making scenario so that you can see that there are way more solutions than you realized. And finally, it takes a lot of kindness to yourself, 
respect for your own system that's telling you, get out of this, this isn't working. And faith in your ability to try again and find something better next time. That's a lot to ask of us when we're stressed, overwhelmed, or feeling crazy. The situation that Anxious Advocate describes is an example of a very classic double bind, as it was defined by uh, social scientist Gregory Bateson and his colleagues in the 1950s. It's an interpersonal double bind where an authority figure has given conflicting messages and the subject or the person being given those messages is stuck in a no-win situation where they fail either way they go. Sometimes double binds can be more abstract, though, in the way that our culture offers conflicting messages about how we are supposed to exist in this society. American philosopher Marilyn Fry took the concept of the double bind and applied it to larger social phenomena, such as gender. For women living in a patriarchal society, there are hundreds of double binds that govern their everyday life. You should be pretty, but not too pretty. You should be smart, but not too smart. No one knows what success looks like because as women, you've been set up to fail. This next letter struck me as an example of how norms around motherhood can cause real pain and struggle in the lives of women dealing with reality, which is usually less than ideal. Dear Wayfinder, I am dealing with a situation with my daughter and I don't know what to do. She is graduating college in just a few weeks, and she has asked me to travel to join her to celebrate her big day. At first, I was thrilled to be there. She has overcome a lot to get to this point, and I really want to be there for her. But just a few days ago, she told me that she'd also invited her father to join her. I had no idea she was still in contact with him. We divorced several years ago because of his abusive behavior. There were so many nights that she and I would leave the house and go hang out in a mall parking lot or a Waffle House to get away from his anger. Divorcing him was one of the hardest things I have ever done. He's a lawyer, and he used all of his knowledge of the legal system to make it as hard for me to leave as he could. The whole situation was devastating, and I'm still recovering from it all. Even though I don't understand my daughter's interest in staying in contact with her father, I support it. I trust her to make her own decisions. She knows what he's capable of, but she's also free to explore a relationship with him on her terms. But I was absolutely flattened to find out that she was in touch with him in secret. All that can be handled in therapy and with the support of my friends. She doesn't need to know my feelings about this, really. She just needs to know that I love her and support her. But when I think about going to her graduation ceremony, I feel sick. I don't want to be in the room with the man who terrorized me for almost 20 years, I don't want to smile and pretend everything is fine, that we're all just one big happy family. I know he'd be on his best behavior at the ceremony itself, but I can't help feeling like standing beside him would be pretending that my personal nightmare wasn't real. It would feel like there were no consequences to him for putting us through all that pain. If I go to support her, like a good mother should, I'm afraid that I'll be jumpy and anxious, and I won't actually be able to show her how happy I am for her. But if I save myself from being in his company and I don't go, I feel like I'll be abandoning my daughter. I'll miss an important milestone in her life, and that will be one more thing he's taken from me. What do I do? 
Signed, Do I Stay or Do I Go? I have to say, this letter really broke my heart. I've thought about it every day since I received it, because this is a truly heart-wrenching situation. As parents, we want to shield our children from our own issues. We want to be there for them and support them unconditionally. From day one, that has been the role of parenthood, to protect our beloveds and to give them the space they need to grow strong and healthy. But when there is an abuser in the mix, the right thing to do is so much more muddled. What I think I hear you saying, do I stay or do I go, is that you're looking for the perfect solution, the way to be there for your daughter without condoning her father's actions. I'm sorry to say, there is no such thing. If your daughter were graduating high school, or if she were much younger, then I might lean toward finding a way for you to be there for her in person. I'd recommend all sorts of self-care and boundaries and backup from friends so that you don't have to go in alone, but physical presence would be more important. But since she's graduating college, and is therefore more an adult, perhaps it's time to let her see the toll this request is taking on you. As you say, you love and support her, and you have no desire to interfere with her connection with her father. But if you have to choose between the martyrdom of perfect motherhood and keeping yourself safe and sane, I would suggest you protect yourself. Are there other ways you two can celebrate this achievement together? A road trip or a girl's night on a separate visit? She may be disappointed that she can't bring the two of you together in a performance of a healthy family, but in the long run, it may be more healthy for both of you if you model self-awareness and self-protection. Wearing masks never leads to happiness in the long run. It's best she learn this now, especially if she is trying to make a relationship work with a challenging parent. In the end, the way out of a double bind is always to go within yourself. There is no way to win from any outside perspective. All potential outcomes have been skewed against you. To break out of a double bind is to have the courage to fail. But in failing, honor what is right for you. Anxious advocate, you have the right to say no. Always. If something doesn't feel right in your gut, trust that. If you always feel worse when you walk away from certain people in certain situations, trust that. Everyone out there listening should read Gavin De Becker's book, The Gift of Fear. It's a forceful and helpful argument for trusting yourself, even in scenarios where compliance with outside demands seems like the right thing to do. And I know that there are mental health situations that are far more severe, and people don't always have a no. But those situations are few and far between, and I think most of us are living in a space where we feel crippled by being able to say no to authority figures who have probably more power over us than they should. Asking for advice from friends and family is smart. The more information you have, the more perspectives you get, and you have less of a chance of getting lost in your own head. You can get second opinions from therapists, too. <laughs> Not every modality is right for you. Walking away from one therapist does not mean you are walking away from therapy. It means that you are choosing to walk a less difficult path, although in the short run, it can feel like a real failure. 
Should I stay or should I go? The situation you are facing is what a trauma therapist would call a reenactment. You have escaped a traumatic situation and you are now being asked to re-enter it. Your job is to imagine a completely different way of interacting with your family. Your role as your daughter's protector cannot be the same as it was when she lived with you. She has changed the dance steps, and so must you. What is paramount is that you make a choice based in love. Not just love for her, but love for you. What is the highest and best outcome for both of you? What decision leads to the least amount of pain for both of you? Self-sacrifice is not a healthy foundation for any relationship. I've been pondering the meditation portion of this show for quite some time because double binds are a unique challenge. My usual approach of reading the body's reactions to each option doesn't quite work because the whole premise of a double bind is that you'll get a strong negative reaction to both possibilities. What's most needed in a double bind is a third option. There needs to be a completely new path found that breaks the stalemate. So for any of you out there faced with double binds, let's settle in and see if we can find that alternate ending. I want you to stop doing whatever you're doing and find a comfortable place to sit in an environment where you can close your eyes and feel safe and you won't be disturbed for a while. And as you settle into your body, I want you to track the sensations of being in this dilemma. What it feels like to be torn between options neither of which feel good. Track the anxiety that you might be feeling. Is it sitting in your chest? Is it a fluttery feeling? Is it a frozen feeling? Just checking in to the reality of how this feels in your body. So for those of you who like to visualize things, I'd like to guide you through a scenario that will help us find a new path forward from this double bind. But even if you don't really visualize well when you meditate, that's not really your way of, of sorting through things. I invite you to sit with sensation. Just keeping in touch with the body and tracking how things feel and noticing whenever there is an alternative or a different sensation or something else you'd like to track. I want you to imagine that you're in a forest and you're walking down a path. You look down at your feet and perhaps you see the mud-packed earth beneath you, and ferns and underbrush. Just settling into the feeling of being in this forest, 
this calm place with the sounds of nature surrounding you. And I want you to imagine that you're walking along this path that's leading you forward. It may help to notice what kind of path it is. Is it earth? Is it stony? Is it steep? Is it gentle? Just sinking into this visualization of you on a path in the woods. Now, as you follow this path, you're going to come to a point where the path forks. This is your double bind. To the left is one outcome, perhaps what you've been told to do, what seems right to do. And to the right is the other outcome, something else you've been told to do, what is right. And here you are, stuck at the fork of these paths, and you don't know which way to go. I want you to really think about the path to the left, noting again, what does it look like? Is it downhill? Is it uphill? Is it curvy? Is it a hard path? Is it an easy path? Is it perhaps a path that feels familiar, one you've taken before? And let's do the same thing for the path to the right. What does it look like? What are its qualities? Is it hilly or curvy, straight, wide, narrow? Does it lead off into darkness or into light? What are your bodily sensations when you consider this path forward? And now I want you to bring your attention back to your feet. And looking at this fork in the road right in front of you, I want you to imagine that there before you, you didn't see it before, it's a very comfortable place to sit. Maybe it's a moss-covered log or a stone that's just right for your back. Maybe it's just a wonderful carpet of grass that you can sit upon. You're choosing not to choose. You're choosing to pause here at this path and sit and contemplate.
settle into your comfortable place at this fork in the road. I want you to turn your attention back to the left fork, the first option you considered, remembering the path and how it led and what it would be like to walk it. And now I want you to come back into that scenario and I want you to play it forward. I want you to imagine what would happen if you took that path. And I want you to be as detailed as possible I make this decision. These are the consequences. I want you to play it out a day, a week, a month, and a year. I want you to let that path unfold for you while you sit right here. What are the consequences of that path? Who will you disappoint? How will you feel about yourself if you take that path? Looking at a year out, I want you to once again scan your body and see how it feels to have lived this outcome in your mind. Now I want you to come back to your place at the fork in the road and remember that you have not made that choice yet, shaking off any sensations or memories or feelings associated with having taken that path. Just coming back to this point of stillness where you haven't chosen, perhaps feeling the tension of the choice. but remembering that you are safe in this wood with birdsong all around you. Now let's look at the right path, the second option. I want you to sit there in your space of contemplation and imagine that you are walking that path. following those hills or curves. Feeling the details of that situation coalesce around you. Live the life of having made that choice. See the consequences of that action or inaction. Let it play out a day, a week, a month, and a year.
Let all the circumstances cascade from that one decision. And just imagine if that were true, if that were your path. When you play it forward, how does it feel in your body? Who have you hurt? How have you hurt yourself? What experiences did you deprive yourself of by making this choice? Let it be real. And once you've played out this path all the way a year in the future, I want you to come back. Come back to this place in the fork of the road. Back to your comfortable seat. And shake off all those experiences you just imagined. Once again remembering you have not yet chosen. That is not your reality yet. Here you have far more concrete information about what happens either way. And perhaps that helps inform which path seems more attractive. Were there pleasant aspects of either choice that you'd like to hold on to? And now the time has come from your comfortable seat here in the forest at the fork of these paths for you to open your eyes and look in between both paths is another path. It's hard to see at first. It's more like a deer track or a rabbit path. But slowly but surely, You can see it, and you can follow it. What is this third path? Where does it take you? It goes in between, so therefore it takes the best of the paths on either side of it. Sometimes the best thing to do when we're faced with a decision like this is to decide not to decide. Sometimes we become aware of options we hadn't even considered, 
because we were so caught in the binary of left versus right. Just allow yourself to take step by step down this other path and see where it takes you. See what comes up, what possibilities are available to you, what alternatives are waiting for you. How do you find your own way out? And lo and behold, as you follow this winding little path, watching your feet, taking care where you step, letting possibilities come to you with each step. I want you to imagine that this little path takes you to a clearing a meadow where the sun breaks through the forest. This is a place of peace and calm. And you get to make it look however you want to make it look. Hang out in this meadow of the third option for as long as you'd like. Let it become real. Let options you hadn't even imagined for yourself become reality. See if the meadow has any messages for you, any flowers or animals. And dedicate yourself to finding the third path. Thanks again to all of you for joining me today for another episode of Ask a Wayfinder. I'm Dana Wheelis, and you can learn more about my work as a coach and a meditation teacher at my website, DeerHawkHealing.com. That's deer as in the animal, hawk as in the bird, healing.com. There's a contact form there on the website where you can submit your own question or we have our very own Gmail address now. You can write to askawayfinder at gmail.com and send your question to a dedicated inbox just for this show. Just a reminder that meditations by me are available on Insight Timer. Just look me up and click follow. I'd love to hear what you think. And if you find yourself stuck in a double bind of your own and you'd love to get outside perspective, 
I do work with clients one-on-one and I highly recommend reaching out. I'd love to work with you. My thanks also to Teach.fm, the podcast network supported by University of Virginia's own radio station, WTJU, for their support of this podcast. If you like Ask a Wayfinder, please rate it on iTunes or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening. I'd love for more people to be able to find the show. Remember, this show runs on your letters, so send them in. Finally, I ask you to be kind to yourself, y'all. You deserve it.